Oh. Yeah. Oh, you weren't kidding. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and gals. <laughs> and uh, particularly all, all, all folks with um, orifices in your, you know, lower regions, which is, I hope, all of you. Clench. Clench away. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have some stories for you. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hi. <laughs> so creepy and I like it. Thank you. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Oh, dear. All right. Would you, would you like to hear some stories? I would. Okay. I really, really would. Okay. All right. So... At last we left off, we were doing myths and stuff, and we were talking about the Strigoi and Romania and all that jazz, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and we hadn't gotten to any kind of sexy vampires, right? No. And sexy vampires no. really don't come until they become fictional. <sighs> and I, I mean, like, yes, they're always fictional. Except for, right, this episode, we're going to tell only non-fictional stories, which is a lot of fun. Yay! This is where our true crime comes in. I love it. Our true stories and not so true stories. See, and this is what I was telling my uncle when he was giving me shit for watching Buffy. Just like, this is, it, not only is it, does it contain a lot of uh, quality themes, even if it's executed in a really corny way, but uh, it's what I think it really was formative for you and I in what we decided to be interested in in our free time. <laughs> I feel like I would have been creepy without Buffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. At last we left off. We actually did have one true story to bring up the end of last episode. Where we the talked, Romanian boys? Mm-hmm. We talked about that Romanian family in 2004. Oh, yes. That exhumed their family member and cut out their heart and burned it to ash and fed it to the ailing family members. And then they got better, right? And then they got better, which is like the only story that I've ever heard of them getting better. But it's probably because we live in a time of modern medicine. And most of those older stories are like, and then they died. And then they died. Because we were treating people with bloodletting. Yeah, which doesn't help very much. Doesn't FYI. help. FYI. Yeah, if you're like, what? I have a bacterial infection. And they're like, how about we open a new wound? Yeah. Doesn't help. <laughs> that sounds like an excuse your vampire boyfriend would give you to drink your blood. Just like bloodletting. It's good for you. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. So we are starting. I'm going to start a little bit modern, but I'll make okay. sure to keep the dates real clear. Okay. Just so because this story right here ties in way better to where we left off. Okay. Then starting old and then slowly going new. Okay. But just, like, keep in mind the whole eating your loved one's ashes, because that's a fucking theme when it comes to real vampires. Interesting. Yeah. So, we're gonna go to Serbia. Serbia. Alright, cool. Which yeah, is everything. 
everything is Eastern Europe until yes. we make it all the way to America. Okay, cool. So, we're in Serbia, and we meet uh, Petar Bloglievitz. Bloglievitz. That is a hard word. That's how you say that? It's, it's Bloglievitz. <laughs> I heard a... I think he's an American, but he moved to Serbia to be an anthropologist in Serbia. Okay. Talking about Peter Bloglievitz. And then I wrote it out phonetically. Because, yeah. Because I was like, there is no way I can read that. Because <laughs> yeah. it looks like Blagojevic. Yeah. <laughs> It's Bloglievitz. Dang. Okay. That said, this story takes place in 1725. Uh-huh. And a lot of these stories are really, really, like, inconsistent as far as, like, details and names. Okay. And I think that that's because we are in an era where we had no common rules on spelling. Oh, interesting. And so especially when you get translations. Little etymology lesson here. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff that's like, like, Vlad the Impaler is always Vlad, mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Bathory is always Elizabeth. But, like, the other people in the stories, the, like, lesser-known characters, mm -hmm. are so inconsistent from source to source to source. And it's probably because, like, literally every single piece of paper that has their name, it's spelled slightly different. Right. And so it's easy to, like, extrapolate from and end up with completely different names. And mm -hmm. And so unless you're dealing with a noble who full-on obviously knows how to spell their name and people will get, like, beheaded for spelling their name wrong or some shit, you're gonna have weirdly spelled yeah. names. So... That is one reason that I think that Peter Bloglievitz is not Blagojevich. <laughs> <laughs> so, etymology lesson for the day. <laughs> Which we love here at Palm Pitch Pod. We do. We really, really do. We like our etymology. I just like... I like science and horror and nerdy shit and... Yes. Lovely. That's, that's what we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So he's from Kisievo, Serbia. And Serbia is located at the southwest corner of Romania. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, this is all going to be kind of the same area for a okay. while. I'm going to pull up a map. I love having maps up in the region. Yeah, that's fair. So when Petar Bloglievich died in 1725, mm -hmm. Kisievo was under the rule of the Austrians. Okay. And both before and after it was under Ottoman rule, which is kind of wild because a lot of these stories have this like Christian European versus the Ottoman Turks right. theme. Yeah, that makes sense. Like it is a, it is a very important theme in all of these stories, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. That makes a ton of sense. And I love it. That makes it way more interesting. Getting my history nerd mm -hmm. going. Yeah. Yeah. We're real history nerding today. So, Petar died when he was 62, mm -hmm. and the eight days following his death, nine other villagers died. Wow. And these villagers on their deathbed, as well as villagers like his widow, mm -hmm. claimed that Peter or Petar had come in the night and attacked them. Holy shit. So, his widow actually claimed that he had asked for his shoes 
and then took off. He was like, I would like my shoes back. <laughs> Crazy. In some stories, this also includes him killing and feasting on the blood of his son. Damn. And so uh, she moved away. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So the villagers exhumed Pathar and found him supernaturally preserved. I.e. his hair and nails had grown. His skin seemed soft and pink. Right. You know, the classic, ah, it's a dead body. But they didn't know that. They didn't get that, yeah. Yeah. So the people turned to the Austrian government, uh, an official only known as Frumbald. 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 So I guess that's his last name, but we don't know his first name. To investigate the body himself. And he did so reluctantly. And he also noted that Petar had fresh blood inside his mouth. Uh-huh. Which is very spoopy, but again... Something that happens. We now know that's that's purge yeah. fluid. So, you know, not only had Frombald done and, and verified their story, but he actually found more evidence for right, the Right, of course. And so they freaked out. And they staked Petar's heart, and they burned his body. And this was written up in a surgeon's report for the Austrian army. Awesome. And in the official report, fresh blood flowed from the wound. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Which, you know, it's just, it's really cool to know the science, like, and then do these stories where you're like, okay, so it's this part of decomposition where the body's kind of full of this weird, bloody mess. Mm -hmm. And if you stake it, you're gonna get this weird bloody mess coming out and it's gonna look like you just staked a fucking vampire. Yeah, that's cool. So this is in an official report. Frumbald did his best to make it clear that he couldn't be responsible for the villagers <laughs> and that the villagers were behaving in accordance with their belief and would appear to be a very real danger. So he was kind of like simultaneously being like, I had no hand in this, but also like, could you blame them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, could you blame them? Like, Which is valid. So this report was published and became the first official report regarding a real vampire. So he becomes our first real vampire. Yeah, Peter. So Peter Bloglievitz is our first real vampire. Then we get to Arnold Peol. Peol. Now this is a year later, 1726, mm-hmm. and in another part of the Austrian mm-hmm. Serbia. So, you know, kind of same area. Yeah. And it's 1726, Arnold Pale dies. So Arnold had been a soldier, but retired to farming near the Serbian Morava River. And he told a bunch of stories to his fellow villagers as, you know, an old man with a long-lived life would. Mm -hmm. And one of which involved him being attacked by a vampire. Mm. And according to Arnold, the wound continued to afflict him until he ate dirt from the grave of the vampire and smeared himself with the vampire's blood. Dang. And then he was cured. So he'd dig up that guy and eat his, drink his blood and... Smear himself with the blood. Oh, smear himself with the blood. Oh, right. Eat the dirt, smear himself with the blood, and then he's no longer yeah. a vampire. Yeah. So, within a month of Arnold's death, four villagers complained of him attacking them in the night, and all four eventually died. Hmm. 
So the villagers exhumed his corpse and again found his body was not properly decomposed. All of your standard stuff, fresh blood, hair and nail growth, you know. Mm -hmm. And they staked his chest and his body released a shriek and bled from the wound. Yep. Which we now know was the bloating. Yep. And then the villagers burned his corpse. Gross. Because, you know, he literally kind of sort of self-proclaimed to be a vampire. Yeah. Yeah, okay, huh? Yeah. (laughs) So, the villagers also did this same process to the four who had died in the previous month. Worried that they caught it? Mm Mm-hmm. This is the first time that vampirism is considered a spreadable, communicable disease. Cool. Yeah. So, and the story doesn't stop there. All right. Five years after this, there's the same village and there's a second outbreak. Which is actually so immense that the Austrians send a team of military physicians. Holy shit. What's an outbreak of? Probably consumption, but they're not really sure. Basically, a bunch of people start dying. Right. And the two in charge are Glasser and Fluckinger. Fluckinger. Which is a name. <laughs> <laughs> and they were specifically trained in communicable diseases, mm-hmm. which is kind of important for dealing with a town that is dying of communicable diseases. Yeah. So within the first eight weeks, 17 villagers were dead. Holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. So Glacer and Fluckinger couldn't see any notable signs of disease, which is pretty strange, right? Yeah. They had two suspects of the like cause. Mm-hmm. The first one is Stana. She's a 20-year-old woman from elsewhere who had died during childbirth but had previously claimed to have smeared herself with vampire blood. Kind of like Arnold. Right. And then the second is Milica, who was an older woman from elsewhere. Elsewhere. Who had told the villagers that she'd once eaten meat from a sheep killed by a vampire. So are you recognizing some of the uh, causes Mm -hmm. from that very first Mm -hmm. episode where we talk about, like, where vampirism can come from? How you can track these are the stories. Yep. Mm -hmm. So all of the bodies of the 17 dead villagers were exhumed. Whoa. And 12 were still fresh. As in they had the vampire signs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these 12 were beheaded and burned and their ashes were then thrown into the river. Dang. And in the official physician's report... The bodies were described as vampiric, which is the first time this word was ever officially recorded. Well, that's great. I love it. So these are our, like, literally first vampires stories. Awesome. Which is my favorite. In 1726. In 1726. 1725 and 1726 in Serbia. That's where our first vampires are. Oh, you Serbs. How great. Okay, tell me more about this good old stuff. All right. So, we are now going to get to a highly requested subject by you. You requested it. I did? Yeah. You wanted Vlad the Impaler. For what? You know that he's like a reason for the vampire myth, right? Oh, yes, of course. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> I might cut all of that out. <laughs> <laughs> Next stop. <laughs> so I'll make that train wreck hella awkward. Just like, what? Yeah, no. Let's make that train wreck. So we, again, stay in Eastern Europe, and we're doing Vlad the Impaler. Yay! So, Vlad Tepes, Tepes. Vlad the Third, Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Dracula. Yeah! So, he's born in 1431 in Wallachia. Wallachia. Which was... It was then between Transylvania, Hungary, okay, which was a nation filled of mostly Saxon merchants, and Saxon the Ottoman merchants. Turks. Okay, yeah. So, like, basically, a bunch of Germans came to this area to become super wealthy merchants and craftsmen. And this is the border of Hungary and Serbia. No, 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 no. Wallachia is between. So it's in what is now Romania. Oh, okay. Same with how Transylvania is in what is right, now Romania. Romania. Okay. Yeah, and Wallachia is between Transylvania, Hungary, and the Ottoman Turks. And the Ottoman Turks are a ruthless military power with the goal of advancing both their empire and Islam. Oh, of course. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely born in. A conflict-heavy area. Yes. So, his father was the leader of the Order of the Dragon. Cool. Which was an organization of nobility who were dedicated to protecting Christianity against the Muslim Ottomans. Okay. And as the head of the order, Vlad II, and then I wrote Daddy Vladdy. Daddy Vladdy. (laughs) Was known as Vlad Dracul. Dracul meaning dragon. Cool. And Vlad III was very proud of his father and his position in the order. And he takes on the name Dracula, meaning son of the dragon. Oh, gotta love that etymology. So Dracula is a real, actual name for Vlad the Impaler. That's cool. Yeah. So, in 1442... The Ottoman invasion proved too much for Vlad Dracul, and he makes a deal with the Sultan in order to keep his throne. Okay. And as part of the deal, Vlad II sent his two young sons to the Ottomans, mm-hmm. Vlad III and his younger brother, Radu. Okay. The idea being that Vlad II wouldn't go to war against the country holding his sons, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Oh no, what happened? So the Sultan begins grooming Vlad and Radu to become devoted Muslim puppet rulers. Okay. So while Vlad III becomes more resentful and hateful of his keepers, Mm -hmm. his hostage holders, (laughs) uh, Radu actually took to the new new lifestyle quite well. Mm Mm-hmm. So, both would have been taught fighting methods, war tactics, and Islam. And this is where Vlad to, Vlad III mm-hmm. learns the terror-inducing and controlling effects of public executions. Okay. As the Ottoman Turks were notoriously brutal. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So... In 1447 or 48, Vlad Dracul is assassinated by Valachian nobility. So Daddy Vladdy is no more. Daddy Vladdy is no more. And the Ottoman Empire took this opportunity to invade and put Vlad Dracula on the throne. Okay, yep. But he was only there for two months before he was run off by the Hungarians. Oh. Yeah. So Vlad actually has three reigns Mm -hmm. but only one that's a real reign right yeah it's very strange fucking european history is weird as shit (laughs) so he runs off for a while and in 1456 vlad dracula finally takes an army into Wallachia and killed the current ruler which is vladislav ii vladislav and who was that a guy um i forget exactly what his relationship is right it's all these vlads and the vlad this and vladislav and yeah i think he's like a cousin or something like he's not actually like related related Mm -hmm. but like he might be related the way that like all nobles were related right 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 so uh vlad dracula comes back kills vladislav too in hand-to-hand combat nice yeah and this is when his real bloody reign begins. This is like, so, fuck you guys. Yeah. I mean, so Vlad Dracula had no way to know who was with him and who was against him. Mm-hmm. So he begins his rule paranoid. Right. And he starts building watchtowers and underground tunnels and fortresses and etc. And this is also when his executions begin. Okay. So I have this wood carving. Yes, I see it. That is, I believe, specifically about this event that I'm about to talk to talk about. Okay. But it is overtly propaganda. Okay. Um, but it's also like the classic image. Essentially, Vlad the Impaler is eating dinner amongst just a mass of staked bodies. But this image is also actually kind of canon. What do you mean? So what he does, he invites all of the nobles, the boyar, who are the Wallachian or Wallachian princes. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the uh, Vladdy Daddy, Vlad II, had been assassinated by Valachian nobility. Right. These princes, their thing was putting in and taking out rulers and changing sides back and forth and having no real loyalty. They were just sort of enjoying their nobility life. Right. And fucking with politics. And so Vlad's thing, Vlad III... Was that he needs to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So he invites all of the nobles, all of the boyar, to a grand Easter feast. And then without them knowing it, he has them surrounded. Mm-hmm. So 500 of them are impaled there and then. Holy shit. 500. Which is why there's this image of Vlad eating among the bodies, because... 
That's kind of what happened. <laughs> 500. How long would it take to impale? Like, how many guards do they have to have? Like, to impale 500 so people would take so, so long. So many. It would have taken so long. And that's not even the biggest. We're going to get there. Oh it's fucking wild. So 500 of them are impaled. The rest, you know, he invites their families as well. Oh, man. The rest were death marched up to Mount uh, Panari, where they were to work next to the peasants and other slaves to build his castle. Cool. Okay. And most of them died from exhaustion, exposure to the elements, and literally falling from the steep cliffs. Holy shit. So I posted some pictures of this castle. Uh Uh-huh. And I posted it up close so you could kind of see how fucking ridiculously steep it is. Mm -hmm. And then I posted a picture from afar so you could kind of see this weird middle-of-nowhere mountain Mm -hmm. with this fucking fortress on top of it. And it it gives you that imagery of that, like, haunted house on the mountain. Yeah, totally. That you see in the vampire stories. Yeah, that's way cool. Yeah. There's also some, like, really cool stuff about the architecture. Like, the red brick Mm -hmm. was, like, it's two-toned because there's red brick on top of a foundation of riverstone brick. That's cool. Yeah. And there's like a lot of really weird and interesting architectural stuff that I learned in a completely random. It was this documentary that was literally about Vlad Dracula, Mm -hmm. but it was like from an architectural standpoint. Interesting. Like the weirdest like direction. Like, okay, I guess you can do architecture. We're going to analyze him through the lens of architecture. Yeah. It was like, well. Sure. Yeah, okay. I like nerd stuff. Yeah, like do it. But it's like not the thing that I associate with. Mm-mm. So that was kind of fun. But yeah, that's <sighs> that's how that castle got made, and that's the notorious Punari Castle. That's cool. And so there's you know there's this really really like insane big event that's his first main event. Mm-hmm. But he begins impaling people as his favored method of ex- execution. Holy shit. What's his which problem? Which is a tactic he probably saw while he was under the Ottomans. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's something he kind of learned from the Ottomans, but also even in, like, the strictest, like, nasty warmonger senses, Homie is psychotic. Like, he is a wild, right, for the wild madman. Mm-hmm. Right, which I could see how you could also, like, Form, I don't know, not necessarily an affinity with, but that kind of, like, brutality could definitely be born out of trauma. Like, can you imagine being a kid and going from your home country to going to living in the Ottoman Empire where you're groomed to be, like, a warlord? Yeah. It's crazy. One, also, it's overtly your enemy. Yeah. Like, your father is the leader of the Order of the Dragon, which is dedicated to fighting off the people who are now raising you. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, it is a very violent time and I'm sure being a child and being explo- exposed to that kind of violence is not healthy. Yeah. Or it could definitely, yeah, be bad. <laughs> It'd be bad. So, so yeah, he was probably a weirdly traumatized kid. And then also just a fucking psychopath, just a really, bloodthirsty, violent, 
anything I have to do to get my throne kind of guy. Because he also adopts this strict moral code for his people. Mm Mm-hmm. Which leads to a huge increase in executions of his own people. Weird. So, you know, he's not just killing, like, betrayers. So he's ruling, like, a small nation state inside what is now Romania, like, but... Essentially. It's not, like, the smallest, but, but yeah, he is ruling Wallachia, yeah. which is maybe, like, a third of Romania. Okay. Yeah. Nearest, the part of Romania nearest to Hungary? No, he's in the bottom of Romania. Or the part in the mountains. Yeah, it's very, very mountains. Uh, Okay. Because the mountain range kind of goes So Transylvania is super, super... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I've got a map of Romania. Um, Yeah, me too. Man, Turkey got really pushed back. So he would have been ruling this bottom part of Romania. Okay. Right where the mountains are? Yeah. I mean, the mountain range does sort of hook and go up north as well, but the... Where the mountain mm-hmm. range is running more east-west is where you're talking about. Yeah, so so the mountain range that goes up is Transylvania, mm-hmm. and the bottom of it would have been Wallachia. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. If I am not mistaken. <laughs> he was next to so, Serbia area. Interesting. Yeah. So we're all in the same area, basically. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, so he starts killing his own people. And all of them are executed by impaling. Oh. And his his biggest concern is usefulness. Or his biggest concerns are usefulness. Uh, he killed beggars, the elderly, and children for no crime other than not being a valuable member of society. Holy shit. Yeah. And his other concern was female purity. Oh, dear. And he killed women for sex before or outside of marriage. Like you do when you're terrible. Yeah. Or even, like, lazy wives were killed. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He was gnarly. A nasty, nasty man. So this is when he becomes Vlad the Impaler. So there's two kinds of impaling. Mm. There's the normal way, where a person is taken and slowly dropped onto a spear, which actually usually leads to a slow and painful death, not by piercing the organs, but by exposure to the elements. Well, that's terrible. Because if you're slowly lowered down onto a spear, your organs have sort of the time to move out of the way. Okay. You know, you're not just straight up piercing somebody through the whatever. Mm-hmm. You're getting them through the guts. Ugh. And then they die of exposure. That's terrible. And then there is the surprisingly worse way. Mm-hmm. Where you take the blood end and grease it and place it up the victim's rectum. And allow it to slowly impale them by making its way up through the lower organs. Mm. Or, in the case of an unchaste woman, well, you know. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's way, that's that's way worse. Like, you hear about, like, rulers, like, always, like, beheading his own people or, like, whatever. Like, that shit's just, like, that's... 
how fascism works. Like, that makes sense. But that's some next level, like... Well, and, like, beheading in a lot of, like, older stories where, like, death penalty is status quo Mm -hmm. is considered the merciful way of killing somebody. You know, that's what the guillotine was made for. Even though it's kind of become, like, a a symbol of torture and, and horror. Yeah. It was created as a mercy device. That's so crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, like beheading is kind of considered the like, oh, this is the nice way to kill somebody. And impaling was absolutely used for its brutality and for its horror and for its gore. That's so upsetting. Yeah. It's pretty gross. So, according to legend, Vlad begins impaling people for his own entertainment. He just thinks it's fun now? He just thinks it's fun now. He, he's going full serial killer. And this is where you get stories of him eating his meals amongst the impaled bodies, and possibly even using their blood as a dipping sauce for his bread. Ew. Now, that's probably just you know, propaganda to kind of show him as a terrifying evil villain. But it does lead to the mythos surrounding Vlad the Impaler. Whatever, I could see, if you're crazy enough to do all that shit, I could see doing that. Like, it's some weird ego trip going on, like... You never know. know. Sometimes serial killers draw the line at weird places. Or weird for them. (laughs) Yeah. Where you're like... Okay, so you'll rape and brutalize and torture and maim and do all of this completely abhorrent stuff, but you won't drink the blood, but you will wear the flesh. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like... That's a weird line. From an outsider's perspective, I don't understand where your moral, like, lines are. (laughs) Yeah, what your compass is, like, exactly. Your compass is, like... Everywhere is north. It's just spinning. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that's, that's like, not even your nastiest part. Like, that's mm. that's kind of where I get your nastiest in that I'm describing what impaling is. But, like, yeah. that's not even the nastiest part. Oh, man. So he's been ruling for a few years being a fucking despot. And in 1462, the Ottomans attack... Valachia. Like you do. And Vlad made a good defense, but the Ottomans were able to push forward with their guns because they had guns. And in this situation, Vlad mostly had like spears and shit. Yep. So the Sultan sends two ambassadors to negotiate. And this is kind of where I'm going to get a little out of order. I'm telling this story in this way. Because this is the way that I was best able to put it together. Okay. It is entirely possible that I am telling things out of order. Like we talked about earlier. Yeah. With like, this is ancient history. Not ancient history, but like, this is that old history where stuff gets recorded in weird ways. Yeah. Which means like, I have conflicting sources in the sources that I found. Yeah. (laughs) That seem like very, very legitimate sources who have different stories. So I'm telling the best story I can. If you know better, you're probably right. I'm doing my best. <laughs> but again, 1462, 
the Ottomans attack Wallachia. They push forward using their guns, mm-hmm. and the Sultan sends two ambassadors to negotiate with Vlad. And Vlad asked the men to remove their turbans in front of him. Uh-huh. And the men say, like, oh, we don't do that. That's not our custom. You know, we're not supposed to show our head. Yada, yada. So he has the turbans nailed to their heads. Ooh. And of course, the Sultan is pissed off by this and sends an army three times the size of Vlad's. Of course. Like yeah. you do. So Vlad retreats. But on his way, he destroys everything. Crops, villages, everything. He even poisons water wells. Jesus Christ. Making it nearly impossible for the Ottomans to follow him. Because, you know, this is before we had, like, planes dropping off, you know, rations. Right, they need to be able to live off the land longer you, to pursue somebody. You live off the land, yeah. And so with him slash and burning everything in his wake... He could continue to live off the land as he went forward, but the Ottomans could not. Right. So it was super evil. Very clever. So where did he go? He goes to the capital. And the first wave of Ottomans finally get to him. And Vlad wins this battle. And he takes all of the corpses of Ottoman soldiers as well as any wounded or imprisoned, and impales all of them on a forest of sticks. Over 23,000 bodies. Holy shit. Yeah, that's the gnarliest. So the sultan sends in his forces, and they walk into this forest of Of gore. Of dead, oh man. And they retreat. Yeah. They're like, hell fucking nah. Yeah. So instead, the Sultan sends in a relatively small group with Radu, Mm -hmm. Vlad's younger brother, who actually had become a proper puppet, to confront Vlad. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Vlad's essentially out of resources. And his wife, not wanting to be captured by the Turks, actually throws herself off the castle top into the river below. Oh, man. Poor Vlad's wife. Yeah. She was just there. Welcome to women in history. (laughs) Except for this next story. Anyway, so Vlad ends up escaping through a series of underground tunnels. Mm -hmm. And through some trickery by putting horseshoes on backwards like village around him kind of helps with this so it makes it look like the horses had entered the city instead of leaving oh that's so funny yeah it's it's kind of clever it's like okay cool 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 and he manages to escape only to be captured by the hungarians oh no (laughs) so he's there for nearly 12 years but is eventually able to convince the king to allow him to wage war against their common enemy, the Ottomans. Right. And he goes back and he reclaims his throne, only to be cap- decapitated within the next two months by an assassin set by the Sultan. Perfect. His head was preserved and, and shown to the Sultan to like prove that he was dead. 
but I think since then his body has been lost, which again kind of contributes to that like ooh, maybe he's not really mythos, dead. Yeah, you know, yeah. But the fascinating thing about Vlad the Impaler is, for a lot of the world, he's this terrifying like vampire man, but specifically in like Romania and Eastern Europe, he's actually a national hero because he pushed back the Ottoman Turks. Really? Despite his like bloodlust, horrifying awfulness. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I find that to be a bit wild. Yeah. But I mean, even at the time he was an Orthodox Christian, Mm -hmm. they made a deal with the Catholic church to like form like this United church because even the Pope was like, okay, yeah, you're a madman and you're killing tons of people. And, but he was fighting off the he was fighting off Ottoman Islam. Turks. He was fighting off the Muslims. Dang. And so even the Pope was like, yeah, he good. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty wild story. So that's that's Vlad the Impaler. It's the fucking crazy ass story of Vlad the Impaler. I liked it. That one's, ooh, that one was a wild ride. And I didn't even, like, I didn't even put in everything. I mean, it's probably best that I didn't, but, you yes. know. <laughs> yes, this is probably best that you didn't. Next stop is Elizabeth Bathory. Yes. And I really shouldn't like her, but I kind of like her. But I really shouldn't. She's horrible. What did she She's do? She's, like, actually a serial killer. Cool. She is easily the most notorious serial killer She's easily the most notorious female serial killer. She is quite possibly the most notorious serial killer ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, like, all of the people that Vlad killed were, like, executions or war. She killed people for fun. Holy shit. Yeah. So let's get into her. Yes. And I I posted a, uh, my favorite portrait of Elizabeth Bathory. Mm-hmm. It's the one that feels the most classic vampire. Right, especially with that red dress and the dark background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and, and she just looks kind of sinister. She does look sinister, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this is in the painting period where the long necks were the sexiest thing ever. So she looks kind of like a giraffe person. You're right, huh? She does. But but that's just a little art history other, for you other guys. Other portraits of her, she doesn't look like that, does she? Oh, yeah, no. She's usually wearing, like, that weird-ass, like, square ascot. Yeah. And, and you can't see her neck at all. And this picture where they've got her neck, it's like, I am a giraffe. I'm so sexy. Mmm, tremendously sexy giraffe neck. Yeah, they're... Yep. <laughs> it's just very silly. But yeah, no, that's my favorite Elizabeth Bathory portrait because she just looks so spot on to her legend. Yeah. So she is known as the Blood Countess or the Beast of Chaktis. The Beast of Chaktis. Cool. So she's born, yeah, about 100 years later. Cool. In about the same place. So she's born in 1560 to the Bathory family in Hungary. Okay. The Bathories were so wealthy that at one point the Hungarian crown owed them money. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wealthy family. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy family. 
And, of course, Elizabeth's family was one of those royal inbred families. Mm -hmm. So her parents were first cousins. And a lot of people have speculated that this is what caused her severe health problems when she was young. Right. Mostly that she suffered from epilepsy. Okay. That makes sense. You know, we talked about, like, porphyria and all that jazz Mm -hmm. and all of the... Yeah. So she had epilepsy. She also had her... Aunt Clara was, like, big-time black sheep of the family, Mm -hmm. and she was labeled or rumored to be a witch, a bisexual, and a sadist. Okay. And some theorize that Elizabeth may have been influenced by her strange black sheep aunt. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know, like, her sexuality has been debated a lot, Elizabeth specifically. Mm Mm-hmm. But we don't really know. We don't really know, especially because of her chosen victim. But we'll get into it. Okay. So from what I'm aware, this could be wrong. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that Elizabeth's parents died when she was 10. Okay. So this is like childhood stuff, right? Mm -hmm. This is kind of where she comes from. Now, peasants in Hungary at the time were not protected against nobles under the law. Okay. Peasants were not allowed to bring claims against nobles. So you're just fucked. Yeah, you're just fucked. You're 100% fucked. So Elizabeth was raised in this culture of violence, partially because of, like, the time, Mm -hmm. and partially because of the legal unprotections of peasants. Mm -hmm. And she was raised beating peasants, or beating your servants, was a completely standard thing that you were allowed to do with no repercussions or consideration. Yep. And so from a very young age, Elizabeth would direct her violent outburst toward her servants. So she had like anger issues. Yeah. And she was kind of into it. She was kind of into the violence, which is again, where we think maybe aunt Clara might've because aunt Clara was potentially a sadist. Right. And Elizabeth would have been taught sadism. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth has a lot of this in her in her whole life story. Is like having these people come into her life that are like, yeah, I'm into sadism. And she's like, oh, fuck yeah. Right. Okay. So instead of like folly a do, it's like folly a everyone around you. Right. Okay. <laughs> then she meets her arranged husband in 1571. She would have been 10. Farenc Nadasti. Mm-hmm who was a soldier known for disemboweling and impaling Ottomans on the battlefield. Cool, okay. Yeah. He eventually earned the name the Black Knight of Hungary for his war violence. Which intimidated enemy and ally alike. Okay. He was a little notorious. And the two of them bonded over their joy of torture and cruelty. Yeah, okay, like you would. Match made in hell. (laughs) So during the time of their engagement, some believe that she became pregnant with another man's child. Uh Uh-oh. And Ferenc had Elizabeth sent away so that she could give up the child to some family friend. And then he took the man and castrated him. And allowed a pack of dogs to tear the rest of him apart. Holy shit. 
instead of being kind of turned off by her husband's violence, Elizabeth was fascinated. Was way into it. So her husband really encouraged her violent behavior. Okay. And they married in 1574. And that's when Ferenc offered Elizabeth Castle Chaktise, Chaktitze. That's cool. As a wedding gift. And then here's a picture of that castle. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those, like, classic, spooky, on-the-mountain castles. Yeah, it's pretty. It is very pretty. So, for three years, Ferenc taught Elizabeth new torture techniques. Okay, great. As well as techniques to keep the victims alive and conscious during the torture. Ugh. So these were things like taking oiled pieces of paper, rolled up between the toes, and lighting them on fire. Not a great couple. It sounds terrible. I mean, great for yeah. them, I guess, but, like, damn. Would not want to have dinner with them. No. Yeah. So they would torture servants together mm. as a bonding activity. But after three years, Frank had to join the battlefield and leave Elizabeth behind to take care of the castle mm-hmm. and their various estates. And in her husband's absence, Elizabeth grew more violent. And likely around this time, Elizabeth began actually killing her servants. Not just beating them and torturing them. Not just torturing them. Basically, she finally started taking it a little too far. Okay. I mean, okay, let's be honest. Like, beating your servants is a little too far. Yeah. (laughs) But she took it the can't-go-back-too-far. Yeah. Yeah. And she used a vast array of torture methods. Hmm. Two big ones were in the winter, she would disrobe her servants and douse them in cold water, then send them outside to freeze to death. Holy shit. And in the summer, she'd cover her servants in honey and send them outside to be eaten by insects. Wow. Yeah. Never enough. Like, that, that would it. That, that would kill them. That's so, yeah. That's so upsetting. Like, they'd get covered in ants that would, like, it, I don't know that it would kill them. I don't, at least the second one. Yeah. But it was absolutely like a torture technique that would leave scars. Oh, yeah. However, most of her methods were a lot more hands-on. Mm-hmm. She was into burning and cutting and whatever could cause the most pain, including genital mutilation. Ugh. I'm not gonna go into the things that she did, but it would make your bits clench. Mm. So just clench away. Just clench away. I do the research so you don't have to. Thank you. (laughs) But sometimes she would do things kind of like the punishment befits the crime kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Like if a servant fucked up a stitch. Yeah. She would just stab the girl over and over again with long sewing needles. Mm. That kind of awful, 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 awful. That's so awful. Yes. So also with her husband gone, Elizabeth starts getting... Servant accomplices. Okay. The main one is Anna Darvulia, mm-hmm. who joined the household as a servant in 1601 and was absolutely the most prolific influence on Elizabeth. Mm. She became her main confidant as well, confident, confidant, as well as another teacher to Elizabeth in torture and murder techniques. Great. That's just what she needs. That's exactly what she needs. 
And again, Anna was rumored to be a witch and a lesbian and a sadist. Mm-hmm. Why are there so many sadists about in this time? Like, damn. I don't know. Like, I know that it was a more violent time, but like, damn, guys. I don't I don't know what is wrong with the nobility. And it's not even the nobility. Like, Anna Darvulia was a servant. Right. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like a region thing. So it's like not even like, oh, it's inbred nobility. It's like, no, it's apparently just fucking everyone. Everybody just likes torturing people. Apparently. So that's our main one. We also have Ilona Yo, uh-huh. who had been Elizabeth's wet nurse, and uh, Dorotia Ordoka, Dorka Semtes. Mm-hmm. And these two women actually participated in the tortures and murders themselves. Dang. Then there was Katarina or Catalin Benica, who was a washerwoman who was charged to clean up after the crimes. So she would dispose of the bodies and clean up. And then Janos Uvari or Fitzko, which was a name that like meant small. Mm -hmm. But he was a small disfigured teenage boy whose job was to go out and find young girls for Elizabeth to murder. Holy shit. Yeah. And she's, like, super into murdering girls. She's super into murdering girls. So the weird thing, she starts with her servant girls. And she kind of always sticks with, like, young virginal women. Mm-hmm. And some... Obviously, I think that there's somewhere in the in the middle that lies the truth. Mm-hmm. But some theories involve, like... Okay, well, this is just what was available to her. Yeah. She had households. She had estates and estates and estates of, like, 400 servant girls. So that's who she murdered. Those were the people who were under her. And then some theories are like, well, clearly she had this weird sexual preoccupation with these young girls. And as a serial killer, that's who she went after. Yeah. And... You know, it it probably was a little bit of opportunity and probably a little bit of that was her desire, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it was always these young servant girls or these young virgin girls. And that's kind of where some of the legend comes from Mm -hmm. is is the choice of victim. The corruption of the sweet, young, innocent ladies. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Her her husband ends up taking ill, and then he dies in 1604. About this time, Elizabeth begins branching outside of the castle servants themselves mm-hmm. by outright kidnapping local peasant girls. Oh, okay. Of course, like you do. And the kidnapping wasn't like you show up in your white van and, you know, drag a girl into your car. I mean, they didn't have white vans back then. But also, she would either lure peasant girls to the castle by offering them work. Or for, you know, rumors were spreading by this point. She had kind of a notoriety about her. So absolutely local peasants were like, "Mm, you probably don't want to go to that castle. So sometimes these girls were bought and purchased. Holy shit. And I would still count that as kidnapping. <laughs> I mean, that is, yeah. It's, yeah. it's kidnapping by a different means. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's not your classic what you think of kidnapping, but it's absolutely kidnapping. And, you know, after her husband's gone, he was 
Although he enabled her violence, he was also a little bit of, like, a calming force for her. Yeah, like a stabilizing force. Like, we can't go too crazy because we gotta yeah, stay in charge. Yeah, he was like, yeah, yeah, let's just torture for fun, but, like, maybe let's not do the murdering thing. Yeah. Which is shitty, but less shitty. Yeah, definitely less so. So with her husband gone, her murder spree just ramps the fuck up. You know, she she's luring in these peasant girls. You've got Fitzgo, who's, who's going to the local towns and... And buying or promising mm-hmm. and getting these young girls. And then in 1609, Anna Darvulia dies after having a stroke. Oh, no. And that's her main confidant. And how, when was, what year was this? 1609. Okay. Her husband dies 1604. Anna dies 1609. So she's been really ramping. But with her main confidant gone and her husband gone, she kind of goes loose. Right, just off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And she becomes desperate for more girls to murder. This is another one of those probably somewhere in the middle things. Uh-huh. Basically, she could have been running out of peasant girls because everyone around was like, nope, don't send your girls to her. Well, she will kill them. she's murdered enough of them, like, that would actually affect the population. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, also, there's some possibility that Elizabeth was like, I want something fancier to murder. So Elizabeth begins something of a finishing school for noble daughters. Oh my god. Within three weeks in her care, all of the girls were dead. Oh my god. So, finally, Elizabeth's murder spree was noticed by higher-ups capable of actually doing something about it. Dang. Basically, like, she was like, oh, they died of consumption, but she wouldn't release the bodies back to the noble families. Oh. And the noble families were like, "Uh uh-huh, no. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. So, the nobles complained to King Matthias... The second, who sent out his highest ranking officer, Georgi Thurzo, to investigate. Now, Georgi Thurzo was an old friend of Ferenc Nadasti. Okay. So he was kind of torn between his loyalty to the crown and his loyalty to his late friend. Right. Who had specifically asked him to look after his widow after he died. Yeah, well, widow done fucked up. Yeah. So there was this, like, internal thing, but he still starts his investigation, but he starts it by sending letters to all of the other nobility, which would have been Elizabeth's family. Mm -hmm. And he was able to work out a deal with Elizabeth's son, Paul Nadasdi, that he would charge her an absentia, meaning that she would be able to avoid the shame of a public trial and that she would not be put to death. Okay. However, it is notable that none of her family claimed her innocence. None of them were like, she didn't do it. They were just like, okay. Yeah. They were like, how about don't kill my mom? Oh, man. So, like, Paul sells out his mom, but also, like, protects her in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a thing. Rich people are crazy, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, well, growing up with the rules not applying to you, I'm sure it would do that to you. Yeah. So, after a year of investigation, 
Thurzo raids Elizabeth's castle on New Year's Eve, 1610, and discovered her in the act of torturing a young girl. Ugh. And he actually wrote a letter to his wife about having found one girl dead and another girl like in great distress and mm. wounded, yeah. severely wounded. She's immediately arrested and placed under house arrest in the castle. And then I just wrote eye roll into infinity. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's all that like, happens to her. Yeah, you stay in the same fancy house that you've lived in forever and... That what you were going to do anyway? Yeah. Like what? How? So did they, I mean, did they make it any harder for her to murder servants or what? I, I think she's just not allowed to actually murder servants anymore. Yeah, and how are they regulating that? Oh, they have, like, an actual guard guarding her. No servant murdering. No servant murdering. Everything else is still great, but, you know, she's isolated. Monitoring monitoring her time in the restroom. You're not torturing any servants in there. Nope, just taking a dump. Yeah. So, Elizabeth Bathory was tried in absentia, and 306 people testified against her. Holy shit. And she was officially charged with 80 murders. So most of the testimony was hearsay, which, you know, rumors and whatnot. Right. And obviously the most damning testimony would have come from her accomplices Mm -hmm. who confessed under torture. Okay. So this is where there's a little bit of wiggle room for like, oh, maybe she's innocent. I, I mean, think she's not how, yeah, I don't know. That'd be a weird, that'd be a hell of a weird way to set somebody up. Like, what, what would be the point of... I mean, that's kind of the theory for why, like, people don't actually think that she was innocent, is because it's like, yeah, Thurzo technically had something to gain, but this is a woman, you could have just claimed infidelity or something, like, way easier to prove Right, you could have, there would be any number then of things. she was a wild serial killer, like literally yeah. the most notorious serial killer in history ever. Not that easy to prove. No. And like, I, I did see, it was one like mini documentary where they were talking to this man who didn't think that she, who, who thought that she was innocent. And he was taking like, one of her, like, so, so-called torture devices and mm. showed that, like, actually this was a medical device that was used to cauterize wounds. So he thought that, you know, like, the girls that Thorzo had walked in on were, like, she was trying to help them. I think she was just trying to cover up for her crimes. Or whatever. I mean, just because something is t- as manufactured as a medical device does not mean it's not being used as a torture device. Like, and I'm sorry, it's the 1700s, like, this is a device meant to cauterize wounds, like, you mean an iron bar? Yeah. Like, basically. How sophisticated is it really, and is that sophistication worth calling it anything else? Yeah, and I mean, like, there's a reason that medicine pre-proper anesthesia is horrifying as fuck. In fact, there's a reason that medicine is horrifying as fuck. Yes. The fact that you are using a medical device does I mean, not mean that you are good intended. Right. And we can't really deny that, like, the development of Western medicine, of internal medicine, did coincide with this level and type of torture. 
Yeah. Like those two those two were bedfellows for sure. Like that's how you know, you learn more about the body by cutting it open. Yeah. Like you're going to tell but me guess that, like who wasn't a doctor? Hmm. Bathory. <laughs> yeah. Bathory. Bathory. Bathory was not a doctor. So, yes, her accomplices did confess under torture. But also, 306 people testified against her. There were other witnesses. There were bodies. There there was just so much evidence that it's like, I just find it really hard to believe that this is just one big conspiracy. Oh, yeah. I agree with that completely. And I mean, like, you know, there is the Salem witch trials and, like, all of the witch trials, actually. But, like, those were all over the place. Like, communities going crazy. Right. It was this mass wasn't hysteria. one woman who probably killed a fuckload of young girls. Right. And it's pretty doubtful that the whole town went crazy and decided that she was killing all the girls. Yeah. Versus towns going crazy and deciding witches are a thing is a little bit more believable. Yeah. So... All of the accomplices confessed to varying roles in Elizabeth's murders, but they all claimed that Anna Darvulia was the greatest role. Really? Yeah. And that was a little bit convenient because she was already dead. Mm-hmm. But also considering what we know of her kind of makes sense. Yeah. So Fitzgo confessed to knowing of 37 women victims. Holy shit. But Ilona Yo upped the count to over 50. Wow. Yeah. And these are the victims that they were involved in killing. Wow. Holy she shit. also ended up providing a list of people in the community who helped supply fresh young girls. So essentially, she implied that it wasn't just these four or five accomplices. There were people in the community that were also accomplices that were knowingly giving these young girls. Well, of course there were like, you have noble people with money and power and you know, all the ability to wreak havoc on your life. Of course you're going to like, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, this is a time when selling your girl for whatever, because you want the money from a big Royal noble person was a thing. Yeah. Like, we had slavery. We didn't care about women as human beings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There were people in the t- community that were like, yeah, take my daughter. I'll totally, like, sell her to you. Like, that's fine. I, and, you know, if she happens to die of cholera or whatever, then I guess there's nothing to be done. It's so you know? Up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, like, a really horrifying, damning thing. And then Catalan confessed to the least, obviously. She was the washerwoman who was not really a part of it, a part of it. Mm-hmm. And she also was not above turning on her fellow accomplices. Good. So she was not involved in the procurement or torture mm-hmm. of these young girls. And had even been beaten on multiple occasions for an initial unwillingness to participate at all. Mm-hmm. And later for acts of mercy, like sneaking food to these victims. Oh. So I, I kind of feel for her because it's like when you are in that situation, what else, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I mean, you're pretty much a victim then at that point too, because you have, yeah, it, it seems to be that your alternative is, you know, 
do the things they want me to do, which I don't feel okay about doing, or have them done to me. Yeah. Essentially, it's like, well, I guess I could become one of these people, or I could clean up after her crimes. Mm -hmm. So she also confessed that Dorka was responsible for the largest supply of girls, and that Ilona was the most ruthless in dishing out torture. Next Mm -hmm. to Anna, of course. Interesting. Of those, you know, four servants who were, you know, kind of coerced into confessing, kind of overtly coerced into confessing because torture, come on. Yeah. All of them said between like 30 something to 50 something victims, Mm -hmm. which gives a little bit of credence to their stories. You know? How so? In that there was some consistency. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're torturing somebody, a lot of times they will say literally anything to make the torture stop. Right. That's how you got witches actually saying I'm a witch during right. the witch trials. Yeah. Because they weren't a witch. <laughs> but, you know, having some consistency in their body count and in their, you know, descriptions of things. Yeah. Kind of gives a little bit of like, okay, maybe this is real. Mm-hmm. So then after another woman comes forward known only as Susanna. And she has a list of 650 victims. What? No list was ever officially found, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that it wasn't destroyed. What happened with Susanna? Nobody knows. There's just not enough, like, recorded, like, leftovers of this to know who this was or what's with the list. So that's why, yeah, that's why when you're like, how many people did Elizabeth Bathory kill? They're like 650 or less. <laughs> 650 or less. So I'm imagining it's probably, I bet, I, could... I bet that 80 that she was charged with is a slightly low number, but I bet that's about right. Yeah. I would think that like, it, I don't know for me, especially given the time and, and what, I mean, just thinking about in perspective, what like, economic and social status can get you now and then thinking about the lack of i don't know just what it could have gotten you then to me it doesn't seem outlandish to think that she could have feasibly murdered hundreds of people well and also like her girl murders were sanctioned yeah because peasants couldn't bring cases against nobles so she killed peasants and nobody could do anything about it nobody cared it wasn't until she started killing nobles that anybody actually did anything. Right. So that's the thing is like the numbers, I, I think you're right that it's probably the truth lies somewhere, you know, closer to that, like 80, 100 kind of thing. But also I don't think it's unreasonable to think that I think 600 might be a, like pushing it a little that's, bit. That's but, high. Because that's like, that's like semi-constantly that's, murdering girls. Right. That's like, when do you sleep? Yeah. yeah. Especially because like she didn't always want to murder a lot of times she just wanted to torture and part of the torture is keeping them alive right so you don't need a lot of victims for that yeah like i think in the early years when like her husband was teaching her the fun and joys of torturing they -hmm. probably didn't kill a whole lot of their servant girls yeah i'm sure that some accidentally died because she tortured them too much but you probably didn't have a whole lot of victims in those early Mm -hmm. years. I think it was when she was really ramping up, when she was going crazy, she'd lost her husband, and then she loses Anna. That's when she's really fucking going and just killing constantly. 
And that's so nuts. Yeah. So I, I imagine that it's definitely below the 650 number, but yeah, I would, I would imagine it's in the triple digits. I would love to see a journal from her. Know what? Oh my God. Right. Oh God. That would be horrific and really fascinating. Like what her deal even is. Yeah. Like, Oh man, that would be dear diary. This is why I murdered. Or even like, dear diary, today I did this and this and this horrible thing, and it was so titillating. Yeah, that would work too. Yeah, just like, what the fuck? (laughs) So, Fitzko, Dorka, and Alona were all put to death, and these were the people who had confessed to participating in either procurement and or torture of the girls. Right. But because Fisco was so young, he was mm-hmm. a teenager, he was spared the pre-execution torture. Well, that's nice, I guess. And was merely beheaded. Oh, well, good for you, Fisco. <laughs> and then Catalin, because she was the least involved and had some, like, conscience mm-hmm. in all of it was given life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Then, so this all went down, you know, 1610, 1611. Elizabeth died in 1614 after three years in solitary confinement. Hmm. How old would she have been? Uh, she would have been 54. Okay. Kind of young, but not mm-hmm. very young. And she was initially buried in the castle cemetery, but was exhumed and moved to the Bathory family crypt after a local uproar over having a notorious murderess buried so close to them. Yeah. Yeah. But then in 1995, and this is just a later thing, like this couldn't have influenced any of our older media. This is, this happened in 1995. Uh-huh. The Bathory crypt was opened and Elizabeth's body was nowhere to be found. Cool. What? So that's pretty nuts. That's pretty nuts. Now, we didn't get into her main accusation. Mm -mm. When you think of Elizabeth Bathory, what do you think of? I think of somebody bathing in a tub of blood. Exactly. So that didn't happen in any of the old records. It wasn't until, like, over a hundred years later, in 1760... When a Uh Jesuit priest published the first written account of Bathory's story, in which he claimed that she bathed in the blood of virgin girls to maintain her youth. Right, he gave her a motive. Yeah. So essentially, it's kind of some weird sexist shit. Where... Right, she's not just crazy, she's not just a crazy serial killer, she was doing it to be pretty. Yeah. Basically, like, society couldn't handle that there was a woman who was a sadistic hedonistic sexual killer who was doing all of the classic male serial killer things right so they had to assign something to make sense of this female violence she's just trying to be pretty don't worry she's just trying to be pretty she's just getting blood so that she can be beautiful because vanity is a female thing and we don't have to worry about struggling with this stereotype that she broke (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Yeah, so that's total BS, huh? 
I was wondering when that was going to come up, the bathtubs of blood. Yeah, the, the blood bathing was not a real thing. Which I'm actually not disappointed by because the way that it came about is really fascinating. That mm-hmm. it's kind of this weird sexist bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that, and, that is fascinating. You're right. And if you think about the stuff that she actually did, it was way worse. If she was just murdering chicks for their blood, this story would have been way less gruesome. That's true. Like, That's true. It still would have been pretty horrific, but not so like I'm much glad less gruesome. It's more, right, not like I'm glad it's more brutal, but like, you know. Yeah. Whatever. No, it's more of those like, well, I'm glad I know this history now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm glad I know it. Yeah, but thank you. I'll just put this over here for now. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just put this over here. So, that's Elizabeth Bathory. Cool. Alright, do we have time for one more story? Yes, we do. Alright, so we're going to move back to the United States. USA! USA! USA. And we're going to talk about the Great New England Vampire Panic. Yes, let's. So, in... It actually started in, like, the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And moved all the way to the end of, like, Victorian era. So it was, like, a long period of New England history. Uh-huh. But town after town believed that the dead were rising from their graves to terrorize the living. Cool. In particular, they believed that loved ones who had died of consumption were now draining the life force from the still living. Oh. So remember in the very, very beginning when I talked about how tuberculosis was one of the... And we won't be getting back to that for another couple thousand years. And now we're back. Now we're back. Cool. So modern historians, specifically this anthropologist Michael Bell, Mm -hmm. have confirmed over 80 vampire burials exhumed from the New England area. Cool. But he believes that there are hundreds more. That's awesome. Because these are like lost family crypts that you find these in. Right. In like ye old Victorian New England. That's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> so the most famous of these New England vampires is also one of the last. So our earliest ones are in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the late 1800s. Okay. So let's go Let's go to New England. Let's go to Exeter, Rhode Island. Let's go to Exeter, Rhode Island. So at this time, this is a largely deserted town. It mm. reached its peak in 1820 with a population of 2,500. Mm. And after the Civil War and the call to go west... Mm-hmm. The population was down to 961. Oh, wow. In the 1890s. Tiny baby population. Also, in Victorian England, tuberculosis was the leading cause of death. Literally accounting for a fourth of the death toll. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, in the 1880s, scientists had discovered that tuberculosis was caused by a bacterial infection. Like, they had discovered it was bacteria and not, like, ghosts in your blood or, you know, God hating you. Right. But, A, this knowledge likely took its time to get to rural New England. Right. Anywhere rural, I'm sure. Anywhere rural, yeah. And, B, 
there still wasn't proper cures until the 1940s with the introduction of antibiotics. Oh, right. So knowing it was a bacteria wouldn't have done fucking shit for these people. Right. Well, it's just says it just gives you the mechanism. It doesn't really explain it, so it doesn't really yeah. do anything to alleviate the superstition either. Yeah. It's kind of like how in the 80s we finally discovered that AIDS was a virus. Mm-hmm. But we we're still like, okay, well, that's a gay disease. Yeah. Because we didn't know how to cure it. We were like, okay, it's a virus. It doesn't change anything for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now we're doing a little better. <laughs> so let's talk about Mercy, Mercy Lena Brown. Let's talk about her. <laughs> so she would have been born in 1873. Mm-hmm. In December 1882, her mother, Mary Eliza, succumbs to consumption. Okay. Her sister, 20-year-old Mary Olive, followed the next year. Hmm. Then, only a few years later, her brother Edwin begins experiencing the signs of consumption as well. That's so sad. Yeah. Like, it is really taken its family. So, he opts to go out to Colorado, which was a common Mercy? thing at the time. No, Edwin. Oh, Edwin. Edwin, who's developing consumption, yeah, decides to go to Colorado, which at the time was not uncommon. There was like the mountain air or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a belief that like the dry climate and the altitude would help to alleviate the symptoms and maybe even cure it. Mm-hmm. And there was some truth in that. There were yeah. other things that they did that were way worse. <laughs> yeah. So by late nineteen or sorry, we're not in the nineteen hundreds yet. By late eighteen ninety one. Mm-hmm. Edwin returned to Exeter in a dying state. Oh. He was not doing well. And by this point, Mercy had also taken ill. But her consumption was the galloping kind. Meaning it was fast. Meaning it's fast. So she lived in her condition for a few short months. Mm-hmm. But by January of 1892, Mercy died. Okay. So... Even though this story is about Mercy Brown, she is dead for the climax of Entire it. thing? Yeah. Okay. So the superstitious townspeople approached George Brown, who was the father, mm-hmm. with a more sinister theory for his family's ill fortune. Heh, <laughs> pun. <laughs> sorry. I'm oh. so sorry. That was mean. <laughs> so by March 17th, George consents to allowing his family members to be exhumed. And as nearly a decade had passed for both Mm -hmm. Mary Eliza and Mary Olive, their bodies were found to be sufficiently decomposed. Yep. That's what happens when you're in the ground for 10 years. Yes. So Mercy Lena couldn't be buried properly due to her winter death. Oh. This is Rhode Island. She died in January. Yeah. Not, you're not, We're digging, not a digging in that. So instead of being buried, she was kept in the stone cemetery tomb. Uh huh. Which in the winter would have essentially been a human meat fridge. Yes. Or even a freezer. Mm hmm. So her body was suspiciously preserved. Hmm. 
Or just cold. And when they cut into her heart and liver, they found clotted blood. Mm-hmm. Now, there was actually a physician that was serving over this. Uh-huh. Who, you know, like, cut open her heart, or, sorry, cut open her lungs, and was like, hmm, this looks like tuberculosis, you guys. But the townspeople were like, you're just a doctor, what do you know? <sighs> oh, dear. So, <laughs> essentially, the blood in the heart was proof enough for the townspeople. Okay. They were like, okay, this is the vampire. She's the one that's sucking the life force from everyone. She's the one that's gotta go. So they burned her heart and liver on a nearby stone, which is apparently still in that cemetery. Oh, crazy. And they mixed the ashes into a tonic for Edwin to drink. Uh-huh. Just like that story. Yeah, the more modern story. From last episode. Yeah. And he still died two months later. Oh, I was hoping he got better. Yeah, because um, he had, you know... Tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. Yeah. (laughs) But the story made news. And first locally, then nationally, then internationally. Wow. It was a big, big story. And an 1896 New York World Mm -hmm. clipping of the story was found in the papers of a London stage manager who had been touring with his theater company in the United States at the time. Uh Uh-huh. And in 1897, that same man published his most famous work. Who? Tell me. It was Bram Stoker. It was Dracula. That's amazing. That's so cool. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that it. That it. That's the thing. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. That's so great. That's all of our true stories. Beautiful. Every single one. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the vampire myth, guys. All wrapped up it. in a neat little package. All wrapped up in a neat little package. It's kind of fun watching how, you know, history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. Right, it's cyclical. It's very cyclical. There was all of these things that I kept uncovering while I was doing research for this, where I was like, oh my god, that happened in another country 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's now happening in this country 200 years later. Right, and that, that repeating cycle makes such a for such a good format because you can give me a lot of information and, you know, spread it out over a few shows and we can have some fun and then come right back <laughs> around to the beginning where everything yeah. makes sense again. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was really just wild doing all of these, you know, all of these stories and just tying everything together. And it was like, wow, we, uh, we figured out how we made Dracula guys. <laughs> cool. Good Look, job, Alex. Dracula. We did a Dracula. Yay! A blur. A blur. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that was that was good. That times. was good. Yeah. Okay. Um, words in English. We're on all of the things: Palm Pitch Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You could email us. You could donate to our Patreon. That's also Palm Pitch Pod. We have benefits now. Yay! Benefits. Yay, benefits. We have a mini episode on there that's actually not paywalled. It's free. So if you want to go and check out our first mini episode, it's available. Do it. You don't have to pay for us. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.